Happy Jack's RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for another Hello, and welcome to Season 33, Episode 8 of the Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. My name is Riley. I'm Clara. And I'm Aaron. Yes, new people. It's so exciting. In today's episode, our topic today is going to be keeping in-game politics fun for games that have in-game politics. And our emails are going to be from Stefan from Essen. I I will never get tired of saying that. Asked for advice on putting a playgroup together uh, or pulling a playgroup together with big gaps between sessions. So making sure that they're working cohesively as a team when they don't see each other hardly ever. And then Anonymous asks about how to deal with major GM miscalculations during a game session. If you'd like to contribute a question or story to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Now, my friends, we're going to have a little talk. We are very short on emails. As oh. of this moment, yeah, no, I'm, it's not I that, thought I was yeah. in trouble. No, I know. I had the mom teacher. I'm going to talk to you about yeah. problem tone because it is a little bit of a problem, friends. So I have enough email. Like, Aaron's going to die. <laughs> I did not sign on for this show to be talked to like this. Okay. Anyway, so the actual problem. So we have enough emails for this show and one more show. And then we don't have any more emails, friends. So please send in emails. We are kind of talking about maybe like restructuring the show a little bit so it doesn't rely so heavily on emails. But the big thing is, one, remember that the emails don't all have to be questions. We used to get these amazing success stories and horror stories. And I love that you're all super focused on like, I'm going to ask a question and I'm going to give them content to talk about. But it's equally valid if you just want to tell us how amazing or how terrible your gaming group is. So you don't have to have a question. Sometimes questions are, are hard to think of. Sometimes you feel like you don't have questions. You know why you screwed up or you know why things are going well. And that's great. No reason I'm looking at you, Claire. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> I have to because go. You know what you, because you know what you did. Because you know what you did. Oh, I never yeah. do. And I, just, I would say, like, I think sometimes, like, having someone tell a fun story about a thing that happened to them yeah. also then spurs me to go, oh, that reminds me of a fun story about a thing that happened in one of my games. And, like, and, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. So please... Send us in some content. We are also looking at some things about maybe pulling back, like, like okay, we've been doing this show for 13 years. Hypothetically, if I look back through our email, I have 13 years of questions that we've already answered, but maybe it'd be interesting to pull a question from, like, the flashback question of the week from, like, 12 years ago and seeing what, like, we think now. Maybe our answers have changed. I yeah. don't know about, like, horror story highlights, too. Like, oh, it would gosh. be funny Some to go through. so bad. There's, I know there's really the bad revisiting ones. of the really bad, oh, man. Yeah. Because so there's, like, I know that my philosophies and, like, I think cultural, like, philosophies on gaming has changed since... Oh, yeah. First of all, this show is a... Who has grown and matured in the course of a decade and a half. Yes. Yeah, course. this show is a bar mitzvah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And we're also thinking about like having like a, a like everyone at the table share their gaming story of the week. Like, hey, because most of us are in campaigns or have been in campaigns recently enough that we could like 
oh man, this amazing moment happened or this terrible moment happened. So we can share that um, just as hosts. So there's a lot of different things we can like slot in. So yeah, but we would, emails have always kind of been the backbone of the show and I feel like it would become a different show without them. So while we add other content in, I feel like we still kind of need that flow of, I don't know, audience participation. It might also be worth, we could talk about it more off air, Mm -hmm. but like worth having like a different, like putting something in the Discord where it's like, send your things here. Because I know we're super active on the Discord. It's much easier if I'm already shitposting to go to another channel and shitpost in there a little bit too. Well, and I was actually talking about this in the Discord today (laughs) and like the Discord and my hypothesis is actually that the Discord is why we're getting fewer emails. Yeah. And which is great. Like, it's an amazing problem to have. Our Discord is so active that people are like, yeah, I post when I have a question and I get like amazing responses from people who are like-minded in this great community right away who help me. And also I'm gaming so much with people from the community that like we don't have as many problems or I feel a little weird writing in because they're going to know because I know we all listen or things like that. We solved our own problem. We did. We solved our problem. So that's a great problem to have, which is why I'm like, hey, you can write in great success stories, things like that. We also like, we are starting to have more listeners than we've had in a while. So I know there's a bunch of new people out there. So if you're new, if you're not on the Discord, before you join the Discord and it solves all your problems, write in some emails. (laughs) Yeah, don't join the Discord. Well, eventually, (laughs) but write in content first. (laughs) But anyway, so that's that's our talk, friends. Thank you. And good night. No, wait, we're not done. Okay. We've had a lot but of fun. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, that's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. And again, stories, fun thoughts, ideas for games, anything you'd like. It does not have to be questions. Rate have, all of the Happy Jacks actual plays in order of <laughs> your least favorite to your favorite. There you go. Yeah, comments on the actual plays, as long as they're like respectful or thoughtful, like in a good way. I actually be... emotionally could not handle no, that. No, I Please don't do that. Okay, never mind. <laughs> It just tells how great we're doing. We've had really great emails about them before, which has been fun. There is like this big hypothetical of the Happy Jacks multiverse. And they've like linked all the APs together, like people do in the Marvel movies. Oh, gosh. It's well, I mean, Hexbreakers messes that whole thing up because we have a multiverse within Hexbreakers. Right. Too, that, so. no, yeah. It's like, it's wild. So, uh, so I don't know. Write in about that. Your weird theories. It's all good. I'm going to change the order just a little bit. Announcements, we're doing OrcCon 2024. That's February 16th through the 19th at the Hilton LAX. We're doing a live show Saturday night. It always gets a little wild and drinky. It's very fun. And you can play games with us, in games with us, and games run by us, hypothetically. So it's a lot of fun. Again, that's strategicon.net. And uh, OrcCon is February 16th through the 19th. Beautiful Hilton LAX, which is right near the airport. Right near the con that I will be at that weekend. Yes, which is always the same weekend. I know. As it's a holiday weekend. Just walk out yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the... I can't because I'll be running. Sh- I, actually, I'm interviewing Alex Kingston at Dr. Holy Ed. Shit. Yeah, one this year. And I'm I'm GMing. We, while we're talking about like achievements as as role playing, we're doing. Last Saturday, I officially wrapped up my official run as the GM of my Doctor oh. Who podcast that I was the GM for for two seasons, the game of Rassilon. So my final game was last Saturday, and then. I'm doing one more show in the Doctor Who universe uh, that this coming Gallifrey one. It'll be my last time, and I think from then on, I'm thinking I think I'm taking a long break from creating stories in the Doctor Who universe after that because as much as I love it, I think there is a certain level of fatigue you get from creating stories within somebody else's world that you really can't 
take ownership over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's fun for a while, but I, I'm ready to I'm ready to do something different and play. Oh yeah. Play yeah, so yeah, so exciting. But I'm very proud of my. I'm proud of we did we did, yeah. we did five seasons of the show. I did Amazing. three as a doctor, two as a GM, yeah. and. I have now wrapped up all of my actual storytelling. So, and I'm, the one at Galley is going to be just a silly, fun victory lap. So. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. So, which was harder, being the doctor or being the GM? Oh, being uh, they're both so hard for different <laughs> reasons. I actually, <laughs> I wrote a whole essay about it for Uncanny, uh, not Uncanny Magazine, for wait, maybe it was Uncanny. Yes, it probably was about how like being a doctor, you have to go, you have to like dig so deep into levels of empathy to role play as that character. Mm-hmm. But then also as a GM, more than other role playing games, you so badly have to set up situations for this character to be triumphant and win. And also like to solve things without it becoming violent per se or mm-hmm. whatever, or, or like to make them look like making somebody else seem like the smartest person <laughs> in the room is really hard, but also trying to seem like the smartest person in the room when you have no idea what's happening. Yeah. Because when a person writes a TV show like Doctor Who, they're writing the monsters and the doctor. Yeah, they know so happening. it's easy for the doctor to know all the things the monsters are doing because they're the same person is writing both. But when you're playing one or writing the other, it's so hard. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's a nightmare. Uh, you can actively outsmart the person. <laughs> yeah. Like, Shit. Yeah. Wild. Um, so we do have a new face on the show this evening. So who are you and what makes you famous? Uh, hi. Yes. Hello. I am Aaron. I am the co-founder and forever GM at Queen's Court Games. You have heard Clara talk about Queen's Court Games before <laughs> because at time of recording, we have just placed uh, number one AP overall in the Ooh. whole wide world, the Audio Fiction World Cup, our uh, Camarilla Vampire the Masquerade actual play. First AP, best US and second globally in, in the uh, award-winning Ooh. rankings. Amazing. Um, I have to break it to you though. At time of recording, we do this live. That's a joke that I make every single oh, okay. time I talk about it. <laughs> I'm like, um, just so you know, it's happening yeah. right now. This gets turned also, into a podcast. Yeah, some people are listening later, but yeah. I think most I of people are listening later. Yeah, 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 probably. <laughs> I also don't expect the facts will change between now and then. Like, we, we did win in, in 2023, and, and that's over now. Uh, but yes, um, over on Peace War Games, we, we kind of specialize in um, emotional and uh, character-driven storytelling. So a lot less about, like, how do you fight the dragon? And more like, what went wrong in your life that you fight dragons for a living instead of being a blacksmith, which is way safer and pays kind of <laughs> just as well? Yeah. But that's me. Awesome. Well, and specifically, we're going to get to our topic tonight, but you are one of the reasons we have the topic we have tonight because you play a lot of vampire. You run a lot of vampire. So I feel like this is a apropos topic for this evening. I did feel specifically targeted. Uh, it was. It was very specifically targeted. You, you get know? used to it. I was like, I can't think of a topic. I can't think Aaron's going to be on the show. I know exactly what the topic will be. Ha ha. So it was very helpful, honestly. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to do any designer of the month, and then we will get to said topic that I have. <laughs> like, what do they call it? Like, planted? Planted, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or segued or teased. That's what the word is. There it is. Yeah. We got there. We tell stories for there. a living. I felt like, a whole nine hours sleep in the last two days. It's been great. Wow. Look up, look up brag over here. It's a lot of me. <laughs> I don't, I don't sleep a lot. So, okay. Indie designer of the month. This month is still Christopher Gray, aka Sundered Hold Scriptorium. You can find his work at sunderedhold.com. This week we're talking about, now this game is well known, but it's always good to like bring back the hits and like listen to them every once in a while. Before the show, we were talking about like 90s music and we were talking like, so it's good to like revel in nostalgia and also amazing. So this game was nominated for the 
2018 Ennies product of the year. It is called The Happiest Apocalypse on Earth. And The Happiest Apocalypse on Earth is a PBTA game set in a fictional, quote, fictional theme park called Mouse Park. Totally fictional, not based on any never heard of it. Not based on a specific now in the public domain (laughs) of a very specific version of something. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Steamboat Willie Park, you can super do. Anything else? Not not at all. Not even a little bit. Uh, you know what? I don't really want to find out that I did the exact wrong thing. <laughs> and so I'm staying clear of it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I have lots of thoughts on that that are not relevant. Yeah. <laughs> it is a special blend of satire and horror, and it takes collaborative storytelling to the brink, where players can take on the role of guests or staff at Mouse Park <clears throat> that barely masks a terrible horror lurking beneath. Yeah. Whatever you t- your course, you are in it now. Lower your head and watch your step. Feminists and Davos book. You're buckling your seat. I said that really wrong, but that's how the Disneyland ride taught me to say it. So not that this is about Disneyland. Everyone pull your yellow tab and hold your hands up. Hold your hands up, pull your yellow tab. Both at the same time. Flashlight, flashlight, flashlight. Okay. Oh, this reminds me of uh, those are really inside jokes. If you didn't go to Disneyland like a whole lot, you have no idea what we're talking about. I want to say a thing, but I want to make sure we're done with with talking about Christopher so I don't steal Christopher Thunder. Last time I was on the show, I jokingly suggested that there should be an RPG <laughs> that was you playing as the burglars trying to break into the house for Home Alone. Uh-huh. And Kimmy knows this. I ended up writing that RPG. It's just, it's a really, really lazy laces and feelings hack. But if you are not on, currently on my Discord, you should go on my Discord because I posted it for free for Discord people. So if you heard that episode and thought, yeah, that should be a game, I wrote a laces and feelings game called Kids Are Scared of the Dark. And it is designed to be a laces and feelings hack where you're playing as criminals trying to break into a house that is being protected by a precocious child. Yeah. And I just I just remembered it based on this conversation. Yeah. And I was like, it's never more relevant than to the audience in this podcast where I thought of it. And I was like, because I, I very much like, oh, someone should do that. And I'm like, oh, I guess that's, that's to be you, me. That's what you do. Yeah. yeah. Welcome so, to game design. Oh, no. I wish there was a game like this. Yeah. Oh, I guess that's my job now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I use use game design to hurt my friends. That's a different story. (laughs) I will say the happiest apocalypse on earth is one of my favorite Chris Gray games, specifically because it is the perfect, in my opinion, overlap of just adorable. Like, I just love when things are super cute and then like there's just nastiness underneath it. And also as a person who like has worked in theme and entertainment and stuff, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, It made me happy because I remember I was saying to Kimmy, like, boy, I really want there to be an RPG where you're in a theme park. That's like, because there's there's so many movies that are creepy theme park or books, creepy theme park. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, this should be a game. And Kimmy was like, well, good news for you. <laughs> yeah. There is that exact game. Yeah. Well, and this game is not about Disneyland. <laughs> but if you listen, if you're the Patreon or above, you listen to our last Nerding Out, which was me and Chris and Kadave and Joey, who was a used to be a cast member, all of us are big Disney people, like a lot, like so many times, been to Disneyland so many times. And like, if you are that kind of, even if you're not that kind of person, you'll enjoy this game. But if you are a Disneyland person, this is a game for you. The kind of There's, person who knows like park lore. Yeah, like park lore. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or that like you can't point with one finger if you work at the park and that, that you can't be an employee of the park. You are a cast member. Yeah. Even if you work backstage, everyone's I, a cast member. I will say <clears> if <throat> you aren't a Disney a Disney adult and you're just <laughs> and like you're just a theme park person, yeah, um, the game does scan really well to like other theme parks 
a friend once described uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain, which is another theme park in California, mm-hmm. uh, the employees as the older teens who are in charge of younger teens, like younger teens <laughs> whose bosses are older teens. Yeah. And bringing that energy into Happiest Apocalypse is so good. <laughs> the last time I've run it, I ran it like that. We were like, we could have made this to kids on bikes as well and kind of kept going. Yeah. But like real Lords of the Flies energy, if you take it to like, a Six Flags. I'm just saying. It's yeah. wild. If you if you need inspiration for uh, things to run in Happy Spotless Winter, I recommend Defunct Land because you'll oh, find God, lots yes. of wild things to use for your story. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh God, I lost a, a, like entire days of my life, hours wise, to that channel. Me too. There are so there good. are deadlines I have blown because of that <laughs> YouTube channel. During the lockdowns, I anything that I had not already watched, I watched over and over. It's the best. Yeah. All right. It is a bit. <laughs> Back to like what we were actually talking about was the game and not just our creepy experiences with theme parks. <laughs> but I uh, thought we were we were pretty on topic with this yeah. is what makes the park the game great. Like, for us. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we were on topic for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's accurate. So uh, you can get Happiest Apocalypse on Earth on Drive Through RPG. And yeah, there are digital and also you can get paper copies like printed in a booklet because people still make those. Now I feel bad that I stopped to talk about the silly game that I invented because the whole thought was like, did we move on? No, yeah. right in the middle of that conversation. <laughs> I thought, no, I just got excited yeah. again because I like it's it. Us. We're okay. It's, oh, no. I, I apologize, Christopher, for talking over your promo. Chris has been on and up. He's I know. <laughs> and this Chris is honestly, the game like was nominated for any product of the year. So yeah. I feel like this game itself probably is doing fine. I just don't like stealing people's thunder. That's all. You're, You're amazing. amazing. Take some thunder. Here's some. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Topic. Our topic this week is keeping intrigue and in-game politics on is fun, especially when you've designed a game or, or a world or you're playing a game, like specifically like Vampire the Masquerade or like the newer versions of L5R, things like that, that are about politics, that are about uh, a lot of the Fey games have it in there too. Oh, I have... <laughs> You've activated me, and yep. we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, I figured this is a good table for this conversation. So many of these games have these deep political things where you're trying to steal power from another person at the table, but you're all still a group together. So there's a fine like balance there between making it challenging, making the politics powerful and intriguing and an, an interesting thing to play with, but not making it become... PvP is fine, but not actual player. Like, player character versus player character, not CVC player. versus PvP. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I don't know. Let's let's talk about this. Let's dig in. Ready to go. Scared. I've been activated now. I'm yeah, scared. I'm, you're like, this is a great table. I'm like, I don't know if it is for me. I'm bad at this. I'm very bad at this. <laughs> well, then so we have I'm, the perspective of learn. someone who is yeah. bad at it and has a like... Because I, I don't know that I'm good at it, but I am crazy. And so there is this energy, I think, where I'm like, I'm going to fucking do a weird thing. Mm-hmm. But also, Aaron knows this. I am uh, prone to conspiracy boards a lot. And I <laughs> like politics in games because I can have a really big mind map of who all is in a space. Mm-hmm. And I can be like, this guy, like, I don't know. I like a good dossier. It makes me sound like a stalker. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that, like, as, as a player, like, that's one of the things you do. I, I do the opposite. Like, I end up focusing on, like, one person and I just, like, think that they're guilty of everything and they're going to backstab <laughs> me and I'm just going to take that person out and then it turns out to be like a completely different person. I mean, it's kind of politics. Yeah. But like, the, the thing that activated me is that like, I 
have yet to play. I, like, I've done, I did a Changeling game with Happy Jacks, and it was so, so much fun. But it meant that I had to read the Changeling, the Dreaming book. <laughs> and that meant that there was all of this politics we never really got into. Mm-hmm. And for a group of, a group of like, creatures who organize themselves into courts, that should be constant. That, like, I just, I want to see it all the time. And it's so scary. Mm-hmm. It's so, so, so scary. I think that if you want to do, keep politics in a game that's, that, like, fun, A, ask your players first. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, you really got to know what they're into. If you've got someone like me who's like, oh, no, I've made, I've made a dossier. This is fine. <laughs> normal. Don't look in the cabinet. Like, that's a different energy than if you have someone who's like, I don't know, man. This guy looks guilty. He 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 was tenting his fingers in the corner. So, Deep. but it, as a player, it's really easy to like say, "Hey, I'm not as smart as my character who has five dots in politics. You've got to help me." Yeah. But that's the thing is, you also have five. If you have five dots in politics, it's a little like the being a bard if you're not really a musician. That's what the rolling is for. Mm-hmm. So you can always lean on your stats to be like, I want to get better at this. I will get better at this. But right now, you got to honor my five fucking dots <laughs> and do that. Like, really lean it. Like, you are not your character. So you can do that. Yeah. And I think that's super important as players. Yeah, as a player, for sure. Yeah. Aaron, what are some of the stuff? I know you have run so much vampire. Oh, God. I've actually been letting Clara stall for me because I've been like making this <laughs> in my head. And it's not just vampire, like any game where you want like motivations to be complex and things to be shifting requires a level of preparation that is like anathema to a lot of GMs. Yeah. But one of like the ways that I start is, um, are, has, have been, this is, might be a thing that only I've experienced. Are you familiar with the orc and the pie? No. I, I think orc butts my, on the show, but not <laughs> orc and the pie. <laughs> It's entirely possible my dad just made this up. My dad taught me how to play D&D. And uh, he was talking about like writing adventures. And he starts out with like the very basic idea that there's an orc who wants a pie. And then this is an exercise in building out motivations for your villains and for your characters. Because why does the orc want the pie? Any answer? He has low blood sugars and a bad mood. Yeah, so he's a really cranky orc. Okay, why can't he have the pie? Another orc has it. Another orc has it. Now we have conflict, right? We've established a villain. We know the motivations. And you can take that basic principle and apply it to all of your NPCs. Vampire, you start out with oh, like a half dozen primogen and 40 other people. And as the GM, you can't write 40 different plots. But if you can keep a general sense of people's motivations, mm-hmm. of the, the way they interact with problems, then that lets you kind of be free-flowing through it in reaction to your players. Mm-hmm. So I don't have like a list of, in, in the All Night Study, for example, I don't have a list of every single plot like the Toriador Primogen has. But I know the way that she likes to execute force. I know the kind of things that she's interested in. And I know the way that she reacts to different kinds of pressures. And when you do that, to wrap it into like making your politics feel fun, to feel fun, they have to feel logical. Mm-hmm. So the players don't feel like you're rug pulling them all the time or that their actions have weight. Yeah. And if you can present a character who is who's intelligible in that way your players can then push in a way that feels logical and these things honest to god just kind of fall together yeah no i totally agree with that like there's nothing more frustrating than being in a political game where logic should kind of be reigning supreme and you're coming at it as like your character would see as logic and then to have it be something like way off in left field that like 
doesn't even make sense to you. Like you're like, okay, my character wouldn't have thought of that, but that literally I would never, that doesn't make any sense. Like, so I think basing it in logic is really important. That's a really good point. It's one of the things that, the things I like is that like NPCs, you can kind of give them the high concept trouble that they use in um, fate Mm -hmm. and like easy logic. Does this fit, fit their high concept? Does this fit there with their trouble? And then they just kind of, in my head, run like robots. Mm-hmm. Like, they're only going to follow these things. And, like, your players are going to give them motivations and things. And I will say, running politics gets a lot easier when you let your players, as long as they don't go, they don't go crazy, when you let your players tell you what they're, the, like, they're like, I think the bad guy is so-and-so because this and this and this. You're like, yeah, maybe. I don't know no, yet. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. I will say, slight tangent, the first season of the All Night Society made a whole ass mind map and I got really convinced on something and it, I was very wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I still maintain the evidence still lights up. Clara will lord this over me until the end of time. Yes. <laughs> I made a mind map. Yeah. I fully, I got really weird about it. Like I listened, re-listened to our episodes and like, again, what you really want to keep politics fun in games is a crazy player. Yeah. Who's yeah. really into wanting to know what other people are up to. <laughs> but yeah. And if, like, you would, yeah. if you want, um, you don't even have to like do all your own work for it. One of the things, um, I'm a huge Court of Blades fan and Sean Drake has made a mechanical system for like a GM turn in Court of Blades. Um, it's a Forge in the Dark game where you are all representatives of like great houses and they're all scheming against one another. But there's like, just a stack of D6 tables that say they use reach, grasp, and something else for how hard are they going to be subtle or are they going to be direct about accomplishing this thing? And then they have magic, force, and money. What means are they going to use to grab that? And it's a bit board game-ish from a GM perspective. If you don't want to let math, reading through that and then using those tools to kind of fill in how the actors in your world work will also make your plans feel more logical. Um, and then to Claire's point, like if I have a banker character who is like used to buying up all the things and the players discover that he, I, okay, I rolled force. He's going to hire some mercenaries. That's atypical for this character. The players are going to react to that. And now we've got like Clara will make a mind map and a PowerPoint presentation and a Ted talk about why <laughs> it's strange that this person's using force. And we've created, I, all I did was roll two dice and then everything else kind of spirals out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just knowing how your players are going to react, I think, is yeah is really important, too. Like, not only do you have to know, like, as a GM, like, how your NPCs are going to react, but knowing how the players are going to react to it, too. In our Vampire Mode of Sin series, in the ancient times of many years ago, like, no matter what happens, like, the gang girl's going to gang girl. They're going to put on their felt shirt, and they're going to want to rip things up. Like, they're not going to want to think about it too much. Things like that. So knowing... and if you ever get stuck in the position of a prince, which feels like it would be like being the doctor in Doctor Who, <laughs> yeah. but like with everyone hating each other <laughs> and wanting to <laughs> kill each other. Never <laughs> yeah, that never happens Doctor Who. It's never yeah. a situation yeah. where two sides are against each other and yeah, the doctor never. has to make it work. Yeah, yeah. Never, yeah. Never, never happens never, in, in never happens. The, the entire run of the classic series. <laughs> yeah, but in, in the vampire Doctor Who, you get to eat each other too. Yeah, they just yeah. kind of eat each other. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I, it's, it's so fun for me because like, are you but you I want like finish your point and then I will get into what I was oh no it's like like knowing how your players are gonna react too so it's like you're you're kind of double tracking so it's not that like necessarily that you have to plan everything out and you have to make like the map ahead of time but you have to know okay if 
this NPC does this, I know this one player is going to do that. So it's kind of like knowing how to throw things in the, at them in a way that they'll also be able to like deal with it or face the consequences. Like if we let the gang roll, we'll just murder, you know, everybody every time. Like, okay, there's going to, it's going to be blowback from that. Maybe depending on who it is they want to kill, but you know, so you have to like balance that out and also make sure that you're giving them multiple ways of handling a situation. Like you would, like we talk about that with anything, like you have a door in the dungeon. You don't want to just have them try lock picking and lock picking and lock picking until they get the, 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 the role right. You want to have there be like creative, creative solutions to political problems as well as the, the physical challenges. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I started role-playing with Vampire and Werewolf. Werewolf is a little bit less courtly politics than Werewolf's a lot more, <laughs> let's help these spirits and fight these corrupted monsters. And that's yeah. all. Werewolf is a much more action-based game. But I, I played were- Vampire as well. I played a lot of Vampire LARPs in college yeah. and stuff like that. And I was always bad at them as a player because even though, yes, you can roll dice for things, it's hard when everybody else around you is role-playing with like, like three-dimensional chess happening and you <laughs> don't have that going on in your brain. So like, it's really hard. Like, so, but my trick for getting around that as a player is I just play the Rube who doesn't know what's happening. And, and I think it's because the thing is, I'm not good at mind mapping. Mm. I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm always surprised. Which is weird because I have a crazy good story brain. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm almost never fooled by twists and things because I can, I've, I've already thought that, I don't go watching things because I'm surprised about what happens. I, I want to see the journey of how they get there most mm-hmm. of the time because I'm a writer and I think in story. I very much think in story. But when it's a bunch of people talking and like gossiping and big, which is I think why one of my favorite things to watch are courtly intrigue drama type TV shows. Like I love The Gilded Age yeah. and I love I love watching old rich women stab each other in the back <laughs> and, and scheme and and plot things because that's not how I think as a writer or as a player. And so it's like, it's only times I'm watching shows where I have no idea what's going to happen and it's great for me. <laughs> but I think that if I'm playing a character in those kind of worlds, I'm going to play like the young, naive niece who's being brought into the yes. family. And like, I don't know what's happening in this family. Auntie, Auntie Agnes, I don't understand why yeah. you're so mad about the old, the new money coming. Like that's, that's who I play as because it's like, and then it's fun because then you can just lean into your naivete yeah. and yeah. make that part of your character and you're fun. And that's great. I will say my, my need to know what everyone is saying is absolutely un like unriddled like bound anxiety. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let us be clear. I am not healthy. No. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah. And like, that is the other half of it. There is nothing wrong playing someone who's new. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my, my cheap trick for like game systems. I'm not very good at <laughs> or not, or, or that are new to me. Yeah. Is like playing a, like playing the person who's new to, Playing the 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 new agent in Delta Green, Mm -hmm. like playing someone who is just like this is the first time, and so and there's so much fun in that because then you can if you do grok it, you can grow into the Marjorie Tyrell, Mm -hmm. yeah, or I guess Sans is a better example. If you don't, then you have a lot of like every party needs a pooper, like every joke (laughs) needs a butt, like Mm -hmm. that's so much fun as well, and you you become everyone's favorite little bean, Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, someone mentioned Mean Girls in the chat, and I think, Kate, like, Katie Heron's a great example of a character who, at the beginning of the story, is completely naive to the world that's happening, and then 
not even intentionally becomes the leader of that world of the course of that story. Yeah. And it's never because she never set out to be the leader. She set out to destroy the current leader and then by doing so becomes the leader herself. Yeah. Like that is a good example of like what you're saying if you rock onto it. That's a, a vampire game in a nutshell. 100%. This, yeah. is, this is a terrible time to mention that I've never seen Mean Girls and before that I've never <laughs> seen Doctor Who. Oh, that's okay. I'm so just... we can cut that feed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just that's totally fine. And I think it's really important to, to have those conversations outside of character first, too. Oh, God. Yes. And people being like, like having the, like if we were to sit down and play Vampire with Aaron as our GM right now, like having the conversation ahead of time, like, you know, Riley, you're like, I'm not good at politics. I'm going to be the new person and I'm not going to know anything about it. And then Claire's like, I'm going to be the Malkavian who is just has this like crazy, like yeah. yarn chart on the wall and conspiracy Malkavia yeah, 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 yeah. holds on. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm gonna be the venture who has the type A personality and assistant and ends up ruling everything and hating it out of character that I'm in charge of everything. But that's all my in character person ever wanted. Yeah. And somehow yeah. I do I always end up in charge of everything. I always play myself in vampire every time. <laughs> we every always, time there's always like a, a little I hesitate to say this because I play an what I want to refer to as an irredeemable villain. But like, there's always like a little bit of ourselves in every, like every yeah. character we play. Yeah, and Vampire brings it out though. Like, like I am always like type A, like corporate Ventru <laughs> who's going to rule, rule the world and gets everybody to work together for my purposes. And then I, I, I just end up every session, I'm like, I'm so tired. I feel like I, I was running a classroom of children like I do in real life. Except like my in characters, like yes, I am ruling everything. Wild that you also play a Ventru and you run Happy Jacks and Aaron and for a company, no particular and, reason. Yeah. Also plays a Ventru all the time. Well, there's a there's two pieces that I want to touch on because um <laughs> I know that uh we've had advice that is like play the new person and then advice that's like use the dice to make up things you don't know, <laughs> and those are both great tools for playing. But it can also, if it goes to its extreme, end up in a place where the new player doesn't get to feel engaged because they're not doing anything. They're just observing. Yeah, I've been burned by that in the past. Yeah. Or the person with five dice is like, okay, I have no idea what's going on, but I rolled five dice. Now what? Mm -hmm. And one thing that I have found that's helpful is when someone succeeds or when someone needs help to start divvying out information in the form of questions that help lead them there. Mm -hmm. So it's like Clara rolls five dice. Uh, there, there was a, uh, an oil spill that shut down a highway. Who's responsible for it? And Clara has five dice and her character should know, right? Like just based on the roll, I can say, okay, you, you got a critical success. Clara, who do we know in the city who like controls businesses? And Clara says the Ventru. And I'm like, right, okay. Are there any Ventru who like have a petrochemical interest? And then Clara's in her notes like, oh my God, it was Fratio Ballard. And you've given them that information in a way that still makes them feel clever and powerful instead of then saying, like, you got five dice, that's ratio ballot, let's move on. And you could keep that tension and keep the players engaged and feeling smart, even though they didn't have that tool readily at hand. I love that. That's a great, great yeah. way of doing that. Are you sure you're not a fourth grade teacher? Because I feel like I, <laughs> that's a great strategy. <laughs> and I think as a I, player, the opposite of that is also very true of if you want to make sure you get involved in story. Like, if you don't want to play the, the new person per se, because that's like, that's obviously great. But I think that what we talked about, I think finding what your character's role in the city is can then. I was talking to some people actually just yesterday about how, like, when if you're a good GM, you should look at your character's 
character sheet as a wish list, your player's character as a wish list. Like yeah. if somebody gives themselves stats and certain things, that means those are the things that they are hoping to do and engage with in the game. And as a player, I think I'll be like, so you mentioned like, oh, these Ventru have these interests in oil or whatever. Like, well, I often play, look, I'm wearing a velvet kimono on camera. I play Toreadors a lot. And <laughs> I played a Toreador in a LARP that I decided that what their job was in the city was that they had their fingers in the pie of all live music across the city. So like if you if you did a live, if you were playing a guitar on the street in this city, you <laughs> owed my character money. Like oh that's, my that's how I played this character. And so that means that all a GM has to do to bring my character into the plot is make something happen at a music venue or make something involve music somehow. Yeah. And that was like a way of being like, I don't, my character's not good at courtly politics, but they have created their little empire in this town mm-hmm. and that is where their power is. And so we can always find stories that tie into that somehow. That's amazing. Yeah. And, it, and then it's so easy to pull in characters who are into the politics with stories that involve like your empire, even if you're like, I don't care who's going to be the prince next. Like, it's just, you know, it's cutting into my take. Then like everyone has a a motivation to work together, even if they don't have like long-term similar goals. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like you said, like having a story, your your fingers in the pie anytime there's a musician and like a music thing happening. It's like a pie episode. We keep talking about pie. It's a pie episode. I want pie now. Aaron, I blame you. Yeah, I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> in that way, other ways you can kind of, the other like archetype character I find who show up in politi- political games a lot, game system agnostic, the information broker mm-hmm. is excellent. You don't got to know nothing before you start. <laughs> you just show up, especially this works really well in LARP if you, you yeah. kind of can, as a bartender, as a like tailor or whatever, just show up. I'm just getting real DS9 energy. Um, but like you show up and uh, like being a host of a space turns you into the, per- like being a neutral party in a political game is so heckin' fun. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it very much like the newbie, the neutral party kind of can come in as a good grease. Like, like they're either the person everyone talks to mm-hmm. or they're the person who is in a space that everyone needs. And that, brings you into the plot that way as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's interesting too, because like we, we talk about vampire a lot because that's like, all of us play, play have played a lot of vampire. And it's one of those that is like clearly about politics. But in the chat, they were bringing up masks and games like that. It's really also, if you have a, a play group that enjoys politics, it's something that you can add into just about mm-hmm. any setting. Yeah. Even if it's not written in. Like they were talking about like the high school experience. Oh my gosh, is there politics in high school? Ooh. I mean, Mean Girls, we've, we've already hit that. But like in actual high schools, not just fictional ones, <laughs> there's a ton of politics there. And any group of people who get together on any, for, for any length of time, there's politics. And so it's something that you can weave in. You just want to do it in a thoughtful way. I think like this is not technically about we don't want to talk about like real world politics, but that's something when you're GMing or when you're planning politics in a game, you want to make sure you're being cognizant of of people Mm -hmm. not wanting to deal deal with that. Or if some people do want to engage in that in specific ways that you're making sure you're really careful with everyone at the table about that. Yeah. Being 2024 in the United States, I probably wouldn't run a game right now about any type of like large scale election. Or anything like that, just because no matter how much you're like careful about it, there's gonna be feelings. 
And now maybe maybe you have a playgroup that wants to engage with that. Like they want to do whatever, you know, take out the Ventru who's pretending, who's running for president or whatever like it is. Like, but just make sure everyone's honestly cool with it before you do any of that stuff. Because you can have really interesting in-game politics that are completely separate from real world politics. And I, at least for me in the 2024 and any of the 2020s, or any part of most of my adult life, like, I just don't want to mix those two things. I feel like there's a lot of more responsibility in social and political gaming to check in with each other a lot more. I think especially when you're playing characters that are doing a lot of socializing with each other. And especially, I think, because you have to be really mindful of, you mentioned earlier, like we talked about PC versus PC, not player versus player. Yeah. And there is a degree of, you mentioned being a neutral party in something or being the person who is new and naive and being worked over. And like, you really have to keep in mind of the like, oh, I'm I'm thinking here, my player's up here. And like making sure that the things that are happening up here are not hurting the feelings of what's happening down here. I think like it's it's like and you you have to also I think there has to be a little bit more buy-in in games like that of especially if you're playing a character who is not the ex it goes both ways. If you're playing a character who is really good at working people, you gotta make sure you are not accidentally like manipulating working the players yeah. of other yeah, characters. Yes. And vice versa, if you are playing someone who <laughs> is maybe a bit naive and a bit foolish, and even if you as a player go, oh, I get what they're doing to my character here. Sometimes there has to be a little bit of like a moment of going, I understand this as a player, but this character doesn't. And I should not shiv this other player in their big move (laughs) by like breaking their story. I need to yes am what they're doing. I I think that improv is a much, much, much bigger deal in social and political gaming than it necessarily is in a game where it's all combat and you have a set of spells that if I cast this spell, a fireball goes off. And that's a lot easier for me to understand than if I make this comment, I might ruin someone's whole weekend next week. So like that, that's a thought that I have about that. Yeah, and I mean, it kind of extends to anything. I There's a whole group of my friends who I played with for a long time. And like they were like, Claire's a terrible liar because they, I played a character who was kind of a con artist and would make these wild lies. And they were like, yeah, that seems like a thing. Like, it turns out, <laughs> I think Claire's actually just a bad liar because like she, her character is so bad at it. It's like, no, I'm doing that for your sake. Like, yeah. I have said it this way to make it like very clear that I'm lying because like I really do hate because of that yes and improv mentality. People can sometimes be really like, I am COVID negative. I'm just coughing. <laughs> but like because of that yes and mentality, people are willing to take whatever you say at face value otherwise. Yeah. But like also to someone who was asking, like, how do you identify different kinds of, like, politics? Anytime humans or sentient beings are in a space together, like, social, like, social habits form, and it, I would call that politics. So, like, there's the literal, like, political kind of climate of a vampire game where there are factions going against each other. And frankly, if you put that in any setting, that gives me, to me, I'd be like, that's a political setting. Like we talked about Mean Girls as a like kind of as a joke, but like high school politics are such a thing. But like just trying to get onto the football team is a political like game mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. Like it's I, I think we yeah. 
we frame like when someone says I want to play a political game, at least in, in my experience, there's always in opposition to like a dungeon crawly game, right? You have fighting games and you have political games. Those are the two like taxonomical food groups of of RPGs. But Claire's right. Like, like the definition of politics is getting people in groups to do a thing. You can make whatever group that be the case, and then make the answer not kill each other. Like vampire is political, but it's not political as a starting point. It is political because you're not allowed to kill one another. Yeah. Right? Like asterisk. <laughs> yeah. Like within you're not, yeah. You're not asterisk. allowed to get caught killing each other. Yeah. Yeah. So Anytime you want to play a game where there's a problem and you don't want to solve it with violence, now we have become political. And whether that is, if we're doing this high school game and you want to bring down the person, we can have a storyline where uh, the schlubby young podcaster is going to try to date the head cheerleader, which will make her so unpopular, she will become not the head cheerleader. Boom. Politics. Rough. Like, we will... Do like a, uh, a she's all that, right? We'll take this really podcast and we'll spend a bunch of money and then make him desire, right? We can, all yeah. of these things work together. I, I guess to really ask the question, I'm watching it. That's how I would, I would answer like, what is the politics? Anything that's not hurting the person with your physical violence. Although Klauswitz would disagree. Sorry to you, dead sir. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, our friendships, like any friendships we have are also political in a way. Yeah. Like in real life, like, like out of game. Like when you're thinking about, oh, like, how am I? Oh, I, I forgot to call her. What should I do? Like, and it's not about like becoming powerful or getting, you know, it's, it's literally like navigating the complexities of other people. Yeah. There's a ton of politics behind the scenes at Happy Jack's, like not as much as many places, but it's like me knowing, okay, this person, this, this person is someone I have to text the day of, so I should know they show up. I did yep. not point at you, Claire. I did not. She looked at I did me not again. look at you. I didn't. I very pointedly did not <laughs> look at you. I was looking down. This is a person who I know, you know, wants to GM, but they're going to say they want to do all 12 sessions. They're going to end up with like six, maybe seven sessions. This is the person who says they're going to go for 12 sessions. They're going to go for 25 sessions. Just knowing these things about people and then putting them in groups together that would like function. It's so much politics. Yeah. Or like, Taking it out of the gaming space, taking it out of uh, arranging an organization. Here's a good example of like, I had a friend invite me to her birthday dinner in December. Mm -hmm. And she also wanted to invite my ex and the girl that she's dating. And that was very, that was a conversation that she had to have with me of like, are you going to be comfortable if I invite? She's like, I want to invite all of you. And I had to answer like, honestly, how I felt about it. And that's just, that is politics. That is, that is group yeah. dynamics and politics. Like yeah. that is like a, <laughs> hey, I know this thing is a tough subject for you. And I know that like the relationship you have with this other friend of mine that I'm not in the middle of, I want to hang out with my friends. How do I feel about these two? And like, that is a, like being a lesbian, there's a lot of that in my life, but, <laughs> but yeah, that is, and that is politics. Like that is friend dynamics on a very basic level. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, yeah. So we, we say political games, it often usually means social, right? Yes. Like like the, the social is the the right. key dynamic of the game versus the violence or or the adventure or something like that. Yeah. Probably like a kiss you. Like Aww. that is exactly it's the um I had a friend who was like, I don't do politics when it came to like what he meant was like I don't do drama. And I like grabbed him by the shirt, like, 
if you don't do politics, politics does you. I do not have to. <laughs> this is what happens. You've got your own succession all of a sudden. If you don't do I, politics. Uh, Brian, politics Brian Cox all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. It's love. In fairness, he does fall into the like, boop, boop, boop. I'm great. And everyone just kind of loves me because I don't like, I don't have no thoughts head empty. Mm-hmm. So like, he doesn't do politics because no thoughts head empty. But like, there is that. Um, but it's, it's like, if you've ever had to do a seating chart for like a wedding <laughs> or a, or like invite people to your birthday, it is that like, that's politics. You did yeah. it. Like, yeah. And it's, people are, hate to contextualize it that way. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. <laughs> and politics is often people talking about one thing, but meaning something else. Like I mentioned Gilded Age already on this. <laughs> and she charts why I thought of it, because there's a scene in season two of, of Gilded Age where a character goes into a room and just moves one name setting place so that a person is not sitting next to the person that they want to sit next to and instead somebody else is. And it's, a whole, it's shown as like a very dynamic move. And like the entirety of season two of Gilded Age is based around the real-life war Mm -hmm. between the Metropolitan Opera and the Academy of Music that happened in the mid-1800s, it's entirely a backdrop for old money versus new money. That is entirely what it is. New money money doesn't have boxes at the Academy of Music. The Academy of Music is like the premier place to be seen. So because they're not giving boxes to the new money people, the new money people fund a new opera house that will bury the old opera house and that is that is the entirety of the second season's main plot is this opera war. Yeah. This happened in real life. This was yeah, a real 100%. life thing. I'm actively salivating. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. okay. The, the imaginary new money family is actually like very thinly skinned on a oh, very yeah. real person. It's, yeah. It's and wild. the Astors are literally just the Astors. Like they're yeah. there. But uh, yeah, I bet you didn't know that the Met had such a salacious drama filled. Yeah. Like political history of how it got built. It's amazing. And the people be? running the opera are just trying to open an opera building and yeah. they've gotten caught up in this high stakes. <laughs> so good. And it's just people having parties and, and drinking cognac and, and yeah. talking about stuff and, and, and busting up each unions. other in the back. Yeah. And Why like, am I not watching this show? I don't know. I don't know. You every, should be. It's every phenomenal. once in a while, there's like a zipper that shouldn't be in that Eric clothing. But yeah, just so you're born. I got to say, you, you dropped union busting in real quiet. It, we went from yeah. cognac well, and parties. Well, because one of the characters is essentially... Yeah. Like, like, there's a, there's, an, there's basically a robber baron who's like the main, one of the main characters of the show. And so, but it's also, I don't want to get too deep into Gilded Age, but it's also, it's a Julian Fellows show. So it's also a show where everyone's a little too liberal for the time period in a way that's like very funny. Like, because like, if you watch Downton Abbey, like everyone's totally cool with gay people. Nobody's racist. <laughs> like, and it's, I mean, I'm, I'm okay watching a show yeah, where yeah, everyone's yeah. cool with gay people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. But it's also hilarious to have like 1920s high society people being like, well, that's what Thomas is into. I mean, you didn't meet a boy at my boarding school who hadn't kissed a fellow student at yeah. one point. It's like, it's like that. There's always that kind of stuff happening. Yeah, that's, that's my dream. That's actually like, also, like the history I want. That's what the SDA should be. Yeah. It's like, yeah. this is what it is. Yeah. But, uh, and, and, for, and for the audience, finding out which boy to kiss at boarding school, also politics. Yes. yes. There you go. 100%. Yeah. Aaron, I have a question for you as a GM. Oh, God. That I run into running even with Doctor Who, mm-hmm. which is because you said you mentioned earlier not having. 40 different plots for each NPC, obviously. Mm-hmm. Do you ever tend to go like, okay, I, I had this plot that I was planning on unfurling and I had this NPC in mind that was going to do it, but because the players are so excited to talk to a different NPC, eventually you're like, they have the information for this plot <laughs> because I 
that's how it's going to get out and stick. That's what happens with me with Doctor Who is like that game is surprisingly more social than adventure, like actiony, like mm-hmm. because it's a procedural show typically. Like you arrive, yeah. like there are big action set pieces in every Doctor Who episode, but most episodes are still also solving a mystery or yeah. or people stuck in a base together and figuring out character dynamics and how those characters are going to come together to solve the problem. Yeah, that's and what I think of when I think Doctor Who. I don't think like, like it's yeah. adventure, but it's not like, I don't know. It's procedural I, adventure. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's, and so I found like a lot of times when I was running games, I would have this silly cast of NPCs and a trap that I found myself in a lot was if I had an NPC that I decided they had the information and everyone was talking to another NPC, I was really bad at being like, but no, this hedonism Bob does not know the information. The robot man does. So we got to get to the robot man. And like, I felt like sometimes I was like shoehorning a new character into a scene where I could have just been like, why didn't the guy they were talking to for the last 20 minutes mm-hmm. know the information they needed instead of the character that I I decided had to have happened? Yeah. I saw like, the, you, you solved the problem by yourself. When I give people... GMing advice broadly. I talk about like finding the information is the challenge. And if the players have gone to a plausible place for that to happen, they should get it. One of the first games I played that wasn't D&D was Call of Cthulhu. And I couldn't wrap my brain around the idea that I would send the players to the library. And then there's a percent chance the adventure just fucking stops because no one passes library use. Yep. And I'm like, no, give them the thing. We don't need to go around. Like, if it's there. It can require a little GM fudging about, like, it was Hedonism Bob and who? Mm-hmm. A robot guy. Yeah, I, I can't okay, remember. So- I can't remember. That's the thing. Hedonism Bob was so popular at the table <laughs> that I that the robot guy who was actually in charge of it, it was... Give well, me an idea about what Doctor Who is, Aaron. This is This was a underground gambling organization that time travels and they were currently operating in a secret okay. lair in the catacombs under the Roman Colosseum. And so there was a person who was the head of the uh, the pendulum circuit and I, so I threw in Hedonism Bob as a gag <laughs> character. It's always that one. Yeah. It's and, always, and it, that it, was, one it was literally just uh, there's a character that you wouldn't you wouldn't know from not watching Doctor Who but there's a character in the uh, Colin Baker era of Doctor Who it is literally just like a little <laughs> slug guy that's being carried around on a litter and like it's designed to be like a very opulent like so I just like I'm just gonna throw a character like that in this game and make it fun <laughs> but because this character had a funny voice and was weird that's who everybody was talking to meanwhile the actual person who ran the gaming circuit was not being talked to <laughs> so yeah. it's that kind of thing so and the only fudge you have to do as a GM in that instance is figure out why Hedonism Bob would know this in a way that is, is plausible and doesn't like reveal behind the smoke screen I had to break myself of this habit GMing that like you as the GM are actually the only one who knows what's written down. Yeah. And so long as you are following a logical train, the players will ride that train and pull the little horn and go on the tracks and be thrilled as far as it goes. We're so, supposed to write things down? I don't know. You can... <laughs> <laughs> you can... So like hedonism, but the information is like, oh, we're going to time travel to... Uh, we're in ancient Rome now. We're going to the, the Roaring Twenties next. Hedonism Bob knows that because Hedonism Bob obviously has the best wine and people got drunk and told him. Yeah. Whereas the leader knows because he's the, the leader, right? Yeah. I'm bending that all the time. I do this with riddles. Like if, if the players are getting close enough to a good answer and it makes sense, like let them have it because the, the first of all, is just game pacing because no one wants to sit around with like their like Rubik's Cube trying to, to get out of the room. And then also that that sense of empowerment it doesn't cost you very much in terms of your story to give the players that win, even though they didn't find it where you wanted them to. 
Yeah. Actually, one of the, the very best characters ever was a yes and in our mage game. We had, uh, did I cut you off, Aaron? I'm sorry. I felt like you were at the end. Okay. So it's at the beginning. We did a really long mage campaign. We did like a couple of years of it. At the beginning, we were doing like a, we had our made up place called the Mode of Sin, which is basically Catalina Island. And Stu was really into making props. And he made a newspaper, like an actual newspaper for one of our first sessions. And in that newspaper, there was like an ad that he like filled space in. We didn't realize it at the time. It was like for a bar. And like we were like looking for clues and we asked, you know, about this bar. And it was like run by this little old lady. Like literally that was it. Like he had not, like he kind of made it up on the fly. We like glommed onto that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, and we were like, oh no, old ladies don't own bars. Like there must be something wrong. We like dove down <laughs> this rabbit hole forever. And he just like, he rolled with it. He, she ended up being this, like by the end of the campaign, this awesome mage <laughs> who like was in this like, like barely, very balanced. Like she liked us because we were like, democratic vampires it was very it's a very complicated story and she's like i won't kill you as long as you don't touch this 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 and this because literally i could kill you all with a thought well i'm making a new doily for my for my side table politics (laughs) yeah (laughs) politics and it was just like this amazing thing it wasn't until like much later he was like yeah no that was a throwaway that i was trying to fill like on my my prop i just needed like this corner to be filled i was like i'll put an ad there yeah it, oh, so, so yeah funny. so good like that is the number one rule of uh running a game beyond the one that is uh, rule zero which is once you start running them you'll never you'll never play again yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. second number one rule is like everything you tell the players is fair game if you offhandedly mention something be prepared to make that your plot. Yeah. And I'm also, and there's an orc behind every door, like GM, I guess, spoilers <laughs> for anything I will ever run ever is, don't worry, you'll get to the plot. <laughs> It'll be there. It'll be there. Just open any of the doors. I promise something's different behind each one. I think that's why I struggle with social and little games for me, because mm-hmm. it's hard for me. I'm not a good writery DM. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm very much a... I think of what is going to happen if the players don't get involved ever. And that's all I write ahead of time. And oh, then I everything else was... changes based on when the people get involved. Because that's how I have to do it. Or else what happens is I get too precious about my novel, basically, instead mm. of what the players want to do. Yeah. So instead, I do it get away around of like, I know that this person is here this day to do that. This person's coming. This is their plan. This is what's happening. And then that's what's going on when the doctor and his friends arrive or her friends mm-hmm. arrive or they, whatever. And then... That is what begins with it. And then I I improvise everything else based on what the players give me as gifts to lead them to... Yeah. And a great example that is mentioned, like, if I hadn't gotten so married, the idea that like, the robot guy had to know the information, like, I could have just rolled with what the players were doing. But because I was so focused on that, then that derailed my own story. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, I think... So I think for me, it's hard to imagine that I could run a good social dynamic game because I would have to be... Everybody... Like, oh, it sounds like Lady Danbury is uh, is scheming. I'm like, yeah, she is now. Yeah, Lady Danbury is scheming. Let's go for it. And like, the problem is if every if I yes and everybody, then there's no actual intrigue. It's just all the stuff you think is happening, it's happening. Good for you. The answer lies somewhere in the middle of yeah. that, where it's yeah. like, Lady Dan. It sounds like Lady Danbury is screaming, and Lady Danbury is in a corner, like looking at a because like talking to ghosts with her like crystal ball. 
because Lady Danbury has been trying to contact her dead husband for months. <laughs> um, like, she's probably not scheming, actually. But you, all the, all the PCs, like, I just want to talk to her because that girl looks crazy. And I love her. <laughs> and well, like, so there's, there's some other ways to, to kind of solve this problem. One, if you're nervous about that, it's perfectly reasonable to set the players up in a situation where there are two people who are, are for the sake of it, like, not mess with the bull, right? Like you can't kill the prince because he, he he'll like 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 Kimmy said, they will erase you with a thought, right? So we have Lady Danbury and Lord Dumbleshire, right? And they are both fighting over who gets to own this thing. You let the players walk in and kind of decide which of those people. It's a bit video gamey, a bit Fallout. Like you have option A and option B, which of them appeals to you more? And then that person comes with a plan that they want to execute, and then the players become responsible for it. So they still get to engage with all the, like, the little stuff. Like, okay, we have these four things we need to accomplish. How can we do that? But there are some guardrails on the experience and some, some higher guiding powers that prevent you as the GM from having to like, get a, like, a cross-reference chart of what happens if X and Y touch, right? Yeah. Something I tend to do a lot with, again, with Doctor Who, the game that I've run that's the most like this dynamic, is like let's say that the players are going to a fair I will be like, okay, let me think of some fun, goofy booths that would be there. And then I just have like a list of, of details about what's happening in the story. And based on how the players role play and interact with random NPCs, I will just feed them one of those. I'll find a way for this character to drop that information. And that's kind of like my way of doing that is like, okay, like I honestly need to know what each character is thinking about. I just need to know this is what the players need to know by the end of this section. So I will let them be off the rails to find that information. And then once mm -hmm. I feel like they've satisfactorily role-played something, then I'll, just, I'll give them that treat. Yeah. Kenneth Haidt uh, gives that advice explicitly in uh, Night's Black Agents, talking about when you write the section of an adventure, what are the things we need to accomplish here? And then so long as the players get a plausible direction to that, congratulations, we can move on. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So we're at an hour and 13 minutes. Oh my so God. I, I guess that uh, topic was a... Uh, Pulled out of my ass at the last minute, but also a very good topic. So yeah. <laughs> thank you all. That was amazing. We should probably get to, you know, the emails. Yeah. <laughs> Mailbag number one. Who wants to read this? You got to email us so we don't spend an hour and a half talking about our own stuff. <laughs> I feel, no, don't need like that part. <laughs> so you, yeah, hold don't on. tell them that. They will not write okay, email. fair enough. Fair enough. Edit, edit that out. Edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm nose Fix it in post. Keaton and Bob said that, and he yeah. and Bob is not the right answer. Yeah. All right. Aaron or Riley has to read the first email because... Sorry, I touched her nose, evidently, which is law. Oh, I'm yeah, that is law. It. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, it looks you know, long, so I'm making you do it. I I'm, think that's oh, like a rite of passage. I, I'll have to do one like this year, so I mean, that's fine. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot the rite of passage. I, I didn't plan ahead enough because we're supposed to pick one really long email for the new person to read, but I didn't know um, you were coming on until the very last minute, so it already picks the emails. Oh, well. Is this one longer than the other one? Yes. 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 Okay. Well, not, then, you know. technically, no. But. It's like half a page. Yeah. Well, make it do a really page. long one next time. So yeah. Write a really Sometimes long they're one. like, like she has to use extra paper because yeah, of one like email. Two pages so, long. Yeah. I've seen that happen, and I know one time I didn't send this to Clara, but I, I clipped it, and then um, as someone was reading it, I cut the soundtrack for Ashikon Farewell from Kenneth Burns <laughs> and started playing it over the background because <laughs> it just kept going. <laughs> but that will not be the case here. Let us see. Okay. Uh, Ahoy, Captain Kimmy and the joyful jacketeers. At risk of losing everyone else's interest, I'd nonetheless take a few words to thank you profoundly. 
It was the moat of sin that encouraged me to pick up this hobby of ours and listening to years of your advice show that finally convinced me to try out the GM side of things. My life is richer thanks to both decisions and I wanted you to know. Smiley face emoji. (laughs) Cheers and drink up. (laughs) On to the meat of my issue. I have a motley group of young samurai ranging from the most honorable of cranes to the most crafty of scorpions, from the most lofty of dragon investigators to the most peasant loving of mantises. Manti? Mantises? Mm. Thanks to a game called Decima. Don't know if you know what that is. There are strings and relationships that bind and a strong emerald magistrate to keep things together. But alas, a true adventuring group that meets about once every month needs repeated and compelling reminders. I fear how to act in unison, how to use each other's strengths or play on weaknesses to enrich a story. My group and I acknowledge this is by far not a one-man task after an adult discussion, but still. Maybe you veterans of stories, survivors of untold horrors, and triumphants of challenges can direct me and those that might ask themselves similar questions on ways to devise adventures, problems, dilemmas that encourage participation of everyone. Best regards, Stefan from Essen. P.S. Yes, there was a session zero. Yes, expectations were asked and somewhat divergent, but not enough to break up without having first finished a campaign prior to this one that ran with the same people. P.P.S. As Essen, if not a name, would translate to food, I'd say, delight yourself on the snack of your choice, but drinking is also fine. Yes, uh, eating as a podcast is not not looked yeah not not looked happily on by by listeners. All right, so yeah, the, the dreaded problem of having a gaming group that meets every week and then it, it becomes every month or every two, three months. Yeah, Ooh. what were you going to say? Starting a podcast. I, I think there are, there are two problems that are kind of distinct that I see Stefan talking about, and one is just how to keep people abreast of the situation. I don't have a better answer than like take notes and offer recaps. Mm-hmm. So if like players can take notes in the session, but they will miss things. But you as the GM, if there are things that are critical to what's going on, it's kind of incumbent upon you to be like, okay, so last time we did these three things, and here's the thing that you said you're going to do after that. Mm-hmm. Good breakpoints can can help with that. Like, don't stop in the middle of the conversation with Hedonism Bob. Stop after the conversation <laughs> when it's then time to make a decision about what to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like I Everyone in actual play is neurodivergent. I, if I did not have documentation and, and big spreadsheets and charts, <laughs> we would always forget things. Like writing it down is really the only way to make sure that nothing gets dropped. Yeah. In my experience. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, 100%. I also feel like if you're in a situation where this is not for actual play, this is just for people playing home games. Yeah. But if your situation is just that we're only able to meet like once a month and it's very hard to keep ongoing plot threads in mind, it might be okay to not do ongoing plot threads. It might be okay to do more episodic storytelling. And maybe if your group doesn't want to do that, I understand that and that totally is fair. But there are lots of things you can do to keep the same characters together and do more episodic stories. So like maybe your characters are, are you know, mercenaries that are going to be like each session is like a different quest they're being hired to do or a different... So that is a way you can do it as well. Like, you know, there are or even like there are campaign books that are like each adventure is like a separate module that can be completed in one setting. And so you can maybe like plan your own sessions that way of like, okay, so like, you know who your characters are. That's who you're going to remember every time. Yeah. So you don't have to remember 
what happened last time. We finished that story last time, and now we're telling a different story with these same characters. That's like, again, that's a preference. Obviously, that's not necessarily if you don't want to play that game like that, you don't have to. If your goal is just, I want this group to have fun with each other, like they can find their own through lines for their characters. Like that's going to happen probably regardless. So if you just want to like tell a fun little story for your friends every month, like that's totally valid and doable as well. Mm-hmm. I found that at, I am always scheduling problems in all of my game groups and I acknowledge this. I found that one of the things that worked really well for not me, but like for the game groups I was with is like my friend put together a group and we met every Friday. Mm -hmm. And if we didn't meet Friday and if you couldn't make it, you didn't play that game and the FOMO gotcha or the like, or you got used to it. And so I ended up playing kind of playing a character who was more of a mercenary and popped in when they could and left when they left. And that just happens like, Mm Yeah, And I knew that was on me. Like, that happens. So, setting that expectation, which it seems like you have done, obviously, I feel like once a month might be easier for everyone to figure out. Mm-hmm. But also a thing that I kind of loved that we've started, some one of my game groups had started implementing was a Discord or like just a space where between sessions, we could recap things, we could store information. And even our characters could have little like, side conversations and discussions like i went to a whole theory of magic thing when i did descent into avernus with some friends because like we didn't want to have it in the main plot like in the in the we didn't want to waste our precious descent thing time Mm -hmm. doing that like with me being like have does time travel happen in games Mm -hmm. uh in D D? so like we had that conversation in the discord after like just for funsies but yeah, I think like it sounds like you guys you've had the like adult conversation of expectations and like like how how like what everyone wants to do and keeping everyone engaged. Getting a wish list from your players. I know the character sheet is a wish list, but like what do you want to see? From, what is you what do you want your character to achieve is a good way to just be like when you have your once a month mm-hmm. pick those off and just like that time is precious if you can only meet once one month and making sure everyone in the space knows that that time is precious. So you gotta. Yeah. yeah. I think you've also like you picked hard mode, Stefan, like playing Elf by Bar is similar to playing Vampire where there's clans. Every single person in your party is from a different clan, has a very different personality, has a very different motivation. They're like, planning behind each other's backs usually, even if they all have like a goal in mind, like, okay, you know, the Emperor sent them on this quest. The Scorpion is planning, uh, like they're all trying to like vie for impressing the Emperor more and all these different things. That's a lot of things to keep track of in be- when you have that much space in between sessions, especially if you as Crane are trying to track what the Scorpion's doing and how the Mantis is dishonoring you by talking to, to whoever, like all these different things. It's just... That's a really hard game to keep track of all those little, like we just had this big discussion about political things, but like all those little threats. So uh, yeah, you picked hard mode. Sorry. Maybe finding a way, like when we did our L5R campaign ages in the past, um, like we all, it's really strange. And I know at the time we couldn't imagine anyone else playing any other way because we'd never seen anybody because it was like back in the, the olden days of APs. 
And I highly recommend you go listen to the Asians Represent podcast and their discussions on L5R because they have some really great commentary. They just actually released a new one on some of the new updates that are happening to L5R too. But like with any game that has factions, it's really hard when you have all the different players in a party playing different factions. It just increases the difficulty and the things that have to be tracked. One of the things we did when we played was we all were from the same clan. So we were all in the same group. So we all had similar motivations, even though we had very different personalities. That's not normally the way it's played. Just like Vampire, normally you don't have like an all Ventrue or an you know, that's not generally how people play it. You're not, you can play it that way, but it's just not normally how it's done. Yeah. It's usually a gimmick uh, once it happens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that might be like a short code if you really, uh, you know, want to stay with the system, like for being a way to kind of like, I don't know if people would want to recreate their characters or whatever, but like having everyone a little bit more on the same page. So there's just less small things to track. Then they're able, then that frees them up to track the main storyline, not the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L plots Mm -hmm. that are all happening in a game that's that complicated. Yeah. Story Girl in the chat makes a a commentary about how games can have story loops. I I think another way to phrase, I apologize, Story Girl, if I'm badly paraphrasing (laughs) what you're saying. My version of it is there's a macro story and there can be a micro story mm-hmm. and you can spend a session telling a micro story, wrapping it up, and then you feel satisfied that you got to the end of the story and there still is a macro story happening that's ongoing mm-hmm. and needs a little... And like I think a lot of episodic TV is built this way yeah. where there's still a seasonal arc happening, yeah. but each individual episode <laughs> still has a beginning, middle, and end of that particular thing. Yeah, there's literally still, yeah. terms for it, like the A plot and the B plot. Like yeah. they've got these like in-term industry. I only know because like yeah. I have friends who are in the industry. Yeah. I'm not well, in the A plot and B plot tends to be more like still within the same like <laughs> episode. Mm-hmm. Like you have your main thread and your baby thread, but, but they're still both usually resolved mm-hmm. over the course of that episode. Yeah, okay. Whereas like you might have like your season arc versus your episodic plot. Yeah, okay. like, yeah, like a story circle or whatever. That's why yeah. you have friends in the industry who can correct you, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a Buffy season, for example. Yes. Like, oh, the whole season is them trying to stop the master from coming back, which I think, right. I think that's the first season. Yeah, yeah. But an individual episode might be like, oh, the master's people are breaking into this thing, trying to find this relic that's feeding in. So, so like they have a whole episode yeah. about this relic. And the B but, plot is whether Angel and Buffy are going to kiss. Yeah, and they do. And then and it goes do. badly. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. Spoilers for Buffy. Another show I haven't, I think I've just grown up in an entirely different planet than everybody else. I haven't seen Buffy either. Uh, I, I feel like, yeah. It defined an era of my life, but I have a hard time revisiting it. Now. Yeah. I understand. Uh, it's I, I get that. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I have the West Wing. I can't watch it anymore. I'm like, who's this naive? Who'd watch this? Oh. oh yeah. I tried to rewatch that like, recently too. And there's one episode I got to. I was just like, oh, oh, ouch. Oh, this is not. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody this off. Somebody today, I shared a clip from Newsroom on TikTok. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, I had a very opposite reaction to everybody else watching it because mm-hmm. people are like, oh, I, this is how news should really be. And I was like, this is so hokey and forced. Yeah. And like, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. I think all of those are good. To, and it's just, it's difficult. It, and it's two different separate things. If you have a gaming group that's supposed to meet every week and then stuff comes up, so then they're not able to meet except like once a month. Yeah. That's a very different mental place than if you are planning and just meeting once a month on purpose. Yeah. So if it's the former, then maybe just like resign to it and be like, we're going to meet once a month. This is a day we have to, 
because then people are going to take notes, like Aaron was saying, in a better way, because they know it's going to be three weeks before they see each other again. If they're like, oh, we're going to see each other in six days. And then they're like, okay, I'll remember this in six days. And then it's 30 days later, they don't remember the thing anymore. Yeah. So so planning for that too and making it clear when your next session is going to be and really like holding to that. <laughs> I know the dream, the impossible dream, but that sort of thing. Yeah. I want to address quickly to the session, the PS mm-hmm. of people at the table having different expectations and trying to make sure that you are fitting those in. I think that like, at least from my my opinion on this is that you don't necessarily have to give everybody equal deliberation of time per session. Mm-hmm. I think you always want to touch in with all players, make sure everybody's in, still engaged in playing. But if it's like, oh, I want a game where my character gets to do this and I'm in, the, I don't know L5R enough to know like what the, each clans are, for example. But if you're like, if you're playing more of a, a scoundrel character, you're going to want to have, t- if you're picking that character, you're going to have one, times where your character's manipulating or being roguish or whatever. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean every session has to be a heist, right? Sometimes you might have a character who is the more like himbo, like debonair character. And some sessions, that's going to be the focus. That doesn't mean that within that session, you can't find a lock or two for the the scoundrel to pick. Yeah. Like, I know this is really broad versions of something, that but but like, I feel like as a player, I'm so satisfied. It's like, as long as I got to do something in those sessions, mm-hmm. it is a bummer when I feel like, oh, we only play once a month. We finally got the table and I didn't get to do anything the entire game. Yeah. Like, that's where you're getting into issues. Yeah, absolutely. I choked on the last one. <laughs> <laughs> I gave okay. you a new one, which is maybe the mistake to have. <laughs> no, it's, don't get COVID. Get back. <laughs> Apparently, it just keeps coming for you. <laughs> The, All right. co- the lingering cough is a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard. I'm scaring the villagers like <laughs> constantly now. Oh, I'm sorry. Luckily, we have a sound suppressor, so I don't think anybody heard it. Yeah. Except yeah. for us. It was scary. Yeah. <laughs> I probably sounded worse than it was. No, yeah, it's fine. I've got that, that mom sense of like, oh, no, that's screaming because she's angry at something. Or no, that's coughing because she's just like, you know, went down the wrong pipe. That's not yeah, like... get that dry. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, okay, yeah. that's not a dangerous sound. That's just... I was at a, a convention yesterday. There was a uh, oddities and curiosities convention. It was very cool and, and spoopy. And I was like talking to somebody and like right in the middle of it, it was like, it was like very much that talk amongst yourselves moment. Like I had to go, I gotta go find some water. It was like so wild. Like, it was like just like a dust or something dry. Yeah. Just hit my throat at the exact wrong time. That is exactly what I'm just like, ooh, everything's great. Oh no, there's like a little dry patch and we're just going to have to evacuate and figure that out later. Ah. Yeah. All right. Mailbag number two. All right. This is all me, right? Yep, that's you. Hey, happy jackers. I'm keeping this email anonymous because some of my players are on-again, off-again listeners to your show. I'm currently grappling with striking the right balance between challenging my players and ensuring they have a good time. Recently, I made a seemingly straightforward puzzle, but it turned into a near hour-long debate, threatening to overshadow the enjoyment of the game. I don't know if I'm just terrible at DMing or puzzle making, but it was bad. I've seen some really well-known DMs touting their puzzle making skills and using them as selling points of their expertise. I've also seen tons of supplements of content specifically about adding puzzles into D&D adventures, so it seemed like something I should be doing. Putting a pin in that for myself. I follow the advice I've heard on the show before and asked the players if they'd be into puzzles and challenges of that sort, but it ended up almost ending the session. So I have two questions. Do you 
maintain a level of challenge without frustrating. How do you maintain a level of challenge without frustrating your players? And how do you as a DM handle unexpected roadblocks that arise when things are too challenging for players or their characters during sessions? Anonymous. Ooh, that's a lot. I'm just going to uh, real quickly before we get to yeah. this, I'm going to pull that pin out real quick. Don't do a thing in a game just because you saw somebody else doing it and think you have to do it. If you don't enjoy doing it and you don't, if your players are into it, but not really the thing they want out of the game, you don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't like puzzles. I tend to avoid puzzles. I will do them sometimes. I hate them. I don't include them in my game. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. That's my thought. But if you want to do them, your players want them great, mm-hmm. but don't ever go, don't, don't feel like you have to do a thing or that you're bad because you don't do the thing that somebody on TV does, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because everybody's different. You watch MasterChef, people make all sorts of different dishes. People specialize and call it different cuisines. It's okay. You're not, it doesn't mean you're a bad chef. It just means you're not good at making desserts, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's always the dessert that gets them. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Because baking is math. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't do math. I don't either. Yeah. Your Google search term is riddles for fifth graders. <laughs> That's like, I cannot emphasize this enough. I tell this to people when I'm in person all the time. I call it the knocking that like the knocking thing where if you knock a song, pick something you like, you know, jingle bells, take me out to the ball game, like just knock it or snap it or something for someone and then ask them what song it is. When they don't know the answer, tell them and then do it again. And it's this curse of knowledge where as soon as you know it, it sounds exactly like the song. Mm-hmm. But before then, it is just random tapping. Mm-hmm. And that is all puzzles in TTRPGs. You know the answer and they don't and it feels so obvious to you. Mm-hmm. It never is. Yeah. Riddles for fifth graders. I <laughs> promise that's the age limit you're at. Because I can struggle with this too where I'm like, the answer's so easy. Why are you noticing this thing? <laughs> mm-hmm. And no one has the knowledge. I, I say it all the time. It's the first line from The Great Gatsby where it's like, Not everyone has had the advantages you've had. Not everyone has the perspective you have. So just keep, like, all puzzles can, and if the puzzles are easy, the players are going to feel smart. And if the puzzles (laughs) are easy and the players feel really, like, are like, these puzzles are really easy, then you can be like, cool, here's a Rubik's Cube, do it again. Mm -hmm. Like, but really, fifth graders. That is the level of like thinking we're going with here. Well, and Aaron said something earlier talking about social stuff of like, if the players get close enough to it, just like let them have it. Yeah. Like I think that's part of it too. And like you mentioned the perspective thing, that's a really important detail too of like, their characters are in a room where this elaborate puzzle is played out. The players are sitting at a table listening to you read description of a puzzle. (laughs) Every single person is describe is picturing a different puzzle in their brain than the puzzle that you even if you put it on a piece of paper and hand them the piece of paper, everybody is visualizing the puzzle differently. So yeah, it might <clears throat> seem like frustrating to you that they're not getting it. It's because they're seeing it differently than you are. Yeah. Bumbletree saying puzzles aren't doors, puzzles are shortcuts. Yeah, yes. Do not hide critical information behind a thing that people can fail at getting past. Yeah. yeah. I promise. Yeah. I also am going to suggest that you provide whatever it is if you do want to include puzzles and things like that, provide it in as many different ways as possible. Don't just read it out loud. Mm-hmm. Provide it to them, print it out. If it's something where they like like have pictures, all these things, like, like these are all things that you would do for fifth graders. Because <laughs> there are people who are amazing at putting together visual things. There are people who are amazing at hearing and processing auditory input. There are people who are 
incredible at reading and and noticing patterns or puns and things like that in print. Because like all these multiple intelligences, everyone is a little bit different. And if you are just saying something out loud, I would never be able to solve it. Okay, if you have it printed for me, I have a better chance. If you have a picture there, I probably will get it in like very quickly. And that doesn't, you know, and, and that my intelligence doesn't change because you read it out loud to me or I see it printed. It's just how my brain works. And everybody's brain works a little bit differently. So it's really important to, if you're going to provide things like that, provide it in as many ways, like like make it, like equalize it as much as possible so everyone at the table can mm-hmm. access it in at least a similar or e- or equal way so they all have a chance at solving it. Yeah. And Aaron mentioned earlier too with like the Ventru thing of like, okay, this is about oil. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Ventru have things? I do think like, Reading through this question again, again, anonymous, I don't think you're a bad DM. I think you are inexperienced at this particular type of DMing. I think mm-hmm. that's the fair way to describe it. So what uh, my my actual like like constructive criticism to you is you your players should not have been talking for that long and arguing without your intervention as a dungeon master or mm-hmm. a game master in this case, in either case, there should have been a point where if you feel like they're just not getting it and they're getting further and further away from it, it's coming an argument, it's becoming a derail. There's a certain point as a DM where you kind of have to just take a step back and take a breath and go, okay, here's what you have so far. And even be like, this thing that you got is, here's, here's what you're right about so far. So that way they can like, they know, if, if they know what they're right about, that'll make it easier for them to get to the next step of the puzzle. Or you can feed them a thing of like, what do you know about this thing? That would solve that. Like you can feed them solutions, mm-hmm. or yeah. you can be like, you know what? It looks kind of. It actually looks a little bit fragile. If you just want to smash it, we'll move <laughs> on. Because that's also. I, I also, as someone who hates running puzzles myself, I usually, if they find any any plausible way to get through it, <laughs> I just let it happen because I'm done with it. I'm a huge fan of the Star Trek kind of. Uh, the, what I don't remember what the system was called that we did Second Star in, but uh, Star Trek Adventures, the Star Trek Adventures hypothesis yeah. system for like. Not quite like riddle puzzles, but like more broader problems where you come, the players get to come up with three hypotheses that they think are going to solve the you Googleizer being on the fritz. Like, this is how all sci fi problems sound to me. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we just run the jib jabber backwards. And then the GM gets to choose one of those, those solutions. And then the players get to run those, like, do those solutions. So, the players have actually like that kind of energy where it's like one of these answers is going to be good, but I didn't come up with it until you told me. Is <laughs> really excellent. It takes a lot of the effort off of you, and it makes the players feel smart because yeah. they came up with the idea. Yeah, and let let players roll. Like we mentioned, rolling for social things. Like if you're care if, if they're playing a character who has really high intelligence and like logical analysis, let them roll their dice to see if they solve a thing that is requiring those skills. Like the, like. The player might not, somebody in chat mentioned the players might have a struggle to get it, but the characters wouldn't have a hard time getting it. And it's like, yep, that's why we have character sheets. That's 100% what that's for. Yeah. I will say, I'll, go a, I'll go a step further there and say that it doesn't always have to be the thing that comes for of mind. Because one, one of the things that people talk about rolling, like, well, I don't have politics, so I can't roll for politics. Anything I tell my players when they're stuck is if you don't know what to do, look at your character sheet, find the biggest number and figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like sometimes if you're doing a riddle and your highest stat is gun, that's harder. <laughs> but if your highest stat is nature, 
have them roll it. And then as your GM, you're kind of on the fence to talk about like, well, okay, so it's got a cat in it and get there, but still let them use the tools they have to get closer. And this, I feel like I've answered this question already. I feel bad for like blowing that really great answer way, way up at the top of the show. And then, <laughs> and then use that to like dribble in the thing that will then make it click for them. You're going to tell them the song as you're knocking, uh, ooh, call to Clara, and then they'll get there. Yeah, I yeah. love like as a GM being, and like it's, it's kind of that same process. We're like, okay, don't tell me what you roll. Tell me what you want to do. And I'll tell you what to roll to get there. Yeah. And it's that same sort of thing. And then it's like, in, and you can do it in that same situation. It's like, okay, okay, what's on your character sheet? Okay, I'm going to have you roll nature. That gives you this hint. Oh, suddenly you realize, oh, blue. Oh, that's the color of that bird that, I don't know, whatever. I would make it up in the spot and be better than right now. But like helping facilitate that is super important. Yeah, like let's, let's use uh, Kara's example of the knocking to make the sound. Yeah. Let's say a character in the in the game is like, I just want to see if I can like sort the song out and like they can and then you go, okay, well roll insight. And then you roll it and it's like you kind of remember being a child and your mom would sing you this song while she was making breakfast for you. And then like and then you might like feed them a couple, like she said something about like like this little mockingbird don't say and like suddenly like Oh, oh, Mockingbird. And like, then yeah. you can get into it. Like, that's like, you can just give them something and they can go, oh. that's, it's so simple to make it work that way. Yeah. yeah. I will say, if your highest stat is gun and you're trying to figure out a riddle, this is, it's, it's creative solutions to creative problems. This is why I love TTRPGs specifically. Shoot the riddle master. <laughs> <laughs> you can make your character sheet work for you. If you have terrible stork-like luck, or I guess I, I don't like that I've become the new stork. Uh, so if you have cursed dice try and if you fail maybe your storyteller will have pity on you or I lie also <laughs> as a dm i could be like oh your highest stat is gun you probably have a lot of experience taking guns apart to clean them and yep. look at the inner workings yep. of that a gun too. so yep. you might be able to figure out the mechanism of this trap like yeah. the thing mm-hmm. yeah exactly there is I don't even remember what it was. It was some sort of math thing in a game I was running. And one of the characters, it was a PBTA game. So like everybody had their little hobbies and everything on, on the sheet. And someone was sewing. And I, granted, like that was sort of like my wheelhouse because I sew a lot. Or I used to sew a lot when I cosplayed before I had a child who takes up all my free time. But like I was like, and I forget what it was, but something. And I, they were like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't have any like intelligence things. I'm like, you can do fractions like nobody's business. You can figure out and you can convert things and you can hold things out and estimate measurements in small amounts like better than any person here. Like roll crafting for me because you this is your wheelhouse. And they were just like, oh, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many people do you know, Clara, who have literal tattoos on their fingers to measure like thing, inches. Yeah, because yeah, it's like just so much faster as someone who sews a lot to just have it on your finger. But yeah, it's the, I sometimes refer to it as like the putt-putt style of uh, problem solving. <laughs> yeah. This is a very deep cut. If you ever played like the Nancy Drew games or any kind of mystery ga- uh, adventure game as a kid, you have an inventory of items or like a character sheet of stats. You can rub that stat on every NPC until they tell you what you need. <laughs> It takes forever, and it's very stupid. Mm-hmm. But like, if again, if your highest stat is gun, and you want it, and you want to rub gun <laughs> on the mechanism until it works, mm-hmm. you'll fit. Like it, 
you can. You can kind of logic your way there, like mm-hmm. like the mechanism or shoot the storyteller. Don't shoot the storyteller. Shoot the uh, the, the riddle giver. Yeah, yeah. If, in, but, character. If there is one, yeah. in character. In character. There might not be one. So that's like, you know. The, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I shoot the piece one, of paper. One of us always one. lies. Shoot them. Did that <laughs> hurt? Yes, it's him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it works. It does. I've, um, seen, the, I've seen an example of somebody casting Zone of Truth on people who always lie and tell the truth. It was a very funny way to solve that problem. Yeah, Yeah, and I, I also, Abria one, one time during a puzzle was like, I have emotionally moved on past this, so let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Aaron, I keep cutting you off. Sorry. It's no, 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 it's quite all right. Uh, the, the one thing that I'll say, if you're doing this, give the players an honest chance to answer the riddle first yeah. before going to the role place because nothing feels greater than being like, what walks on three legs? An old man! They're going to love that. But yeah. if they don't get there, then oh, yeah. bring the dice in. And let them yeah, know. the caveat, this advice is all for when the players are struggling to get mm-hmm. through the puzzle, not when your players are killing it with puzzles. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think... My GM instinct kicking in and being yeah, like, no, I have to be exactly literal. Or Claire is going to ask me what... <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to shoot any character in any game that I... Mm-mm. That feels like a... I've never... I don't think I've ever shot. Really? I'm not really a gun person. Just, no, no, yeah, no. Like, Shooting actual straight gun, yeah, stabbing things constantly. Yeah, hundred percent. I was like constantly. I feel like murder is a thing you do almost. Never, <laughs> no, never murder. No, always stabbing. Oh, okay. There's, there's my new shirt. Yeah, I am. I have played a game with you <laughs> where your character was introduced running around with a baseball bat, having gone feral and, and caused a, a war. So yes. In my defense, I have no defense. Okay. But it was still not a gun in it's her defense. It does not need to be yeah. defended. It wasn't just, a gun, saying, though. It was a baseball bat. It was, it was true. Oh, no, it was an axe. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. the lick, the silver tongue. Yeah. Oh, I did. That was the yeah. best, the murder tongue. Let, okay. Here, that's the thing, though. My sheet had a thing on it, it and thing. I was going to rub it on it. That's gross now that yeah. it was a tongue. So <laughs> if, you're, uh, if your PBTA sheet says, silver tongue, like, has a silver tongue, like, oh, speaks well, and Clara gets it, and she's against a werewolf, she's going to be like, no, no, it says silver tongue. It doesn't say that that is a metaphor. It says silver tongue. It didn't say so metaphor. Funny. It said silver tongue. Yes. And Jason will rue the day. I'll tell you what, my, my GM thing is that, okay, you said we've made a canon decision now that you think silver tongue means I can lick things. So you're no longer eloquent. That's the bargain that we've made. Ooh, wait, I don't this like This is that. your bed. Now you I have to sleep that. in it. Oh, or wait, or you think you have a silver tongue. That means you have a hard time talking because you have a metal tongue in your mouth. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> and the monkey's paw curls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that as a GM, like stepping in, you need to, it's hard. You've got to like practice, feel like the vibe check. You need to step in and stop things or find a way around before it hits a point of frustration where people aren't having fun. Yeah, there's a point of frustration where people are challenged and they're talking and they're all engaged, and then there's a point of frustration where they start snipping at each other mm-hmm. or disengaging completely, getting on their phones, where one person's just kind of talking over everyone, and you can feel that vibe shift. It's literally just practicing running groups of people through things, but like stepping in before it gets to that point, agreed, and coming up with, oh hey, again, dealing with everyone is politics. Doing it in a way that doesn't make them feel bad or like they've failed. Like, if you were like, okay, this isn't working out. This is terrible. You guys aren't getting it. Let's move on. Not fun or a good way to go about that. <laughs> like, all right. So suddenly it starts ticking. And you think, oh, oh, 
oh, it's going to explode. You guys, uh, you know, whatever it is. So then they all have to bail and they roll for like dexterity or athletics or whatever to get out of the way and it explodes and then they get to go past it. So then it's like, it doesn't feel like they've failed in any way. Yeah. I mean, their characters have failed, but not in a way that like has stopped the story or put the players to a point of frustration. Whatever it is, like find a way around it before they stop having fun. That timer sometimes works. Not a timer in front of them, but like give yourself a timer, yeah. like put a mm-hmm. put a five minute timer on your phone and just sort of let it go. Yeah, um, that's great. Just so that like, like if you're running a con game, especially like you just don't want to be fighting that forever. Mm-hmm. But even like the like, the Abrio, like I've emotionally moved past this. Yeah. Like, we don't have to play <laughs> this anymore. Yeah. yeah. Like it should be fun for you too. Mm-hmm. And watching your players struggle is not always fun. Yeah. No. Largely because it was for a podcast. My Doctor Who thing, when I took over as the GM, a rule that I immediately instituted was five minutes per scene. Mm-hmm. And I would run a five minute. And I got that from Ryan Omega who did it for like the uh, boardroom. The boardroom Armageddon. Yeah, boardroom Armageddon. <laughs> like, we were on that together. Ryan runs all the scenes and has five minute timers. And I was like, that's not actually not a bad idea because it's for an audience. But also, reason why, because a thing about Doctor Who especially is you, unlike D&D, where you split the, you don't split the party, you shouldn't split the party is the big rule. Doctor Who frequently has the doctor going off and doing a thing while the companions go off and do a thing and then they, they delve to get back together. So a lot of times I would have a scene with companions and like an NPC or companions and a thing and I would run a five minute timer and then we get to the end of it. The scene might not be over, but I would cut away to something else happening. That also gives that player set five minutes to breathe and not feel so pressured in the hot seat. Like I have to solve this while everyone's looking at me. Yeah. And again, that's for a podcast, but even at the actual table, I do think like five minutes or whatever to break out of character and think about it as just yourself helps. Obviously, you might have a group that's all together in a scene, but it's also okay. It's like, hey, everyone's getting a little bit stressed out. Everyone's getting a little bit worked up. Let's just take a 10 minute break. Yep. Let's just go get, let's get, let's use a bio break. Let's get some water. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about other stuff. And you might come back to the table and someone's like, oh my gosh, I wasn't thinking about it for 10 minutes. Now I have it. Yeah. I have a solution. So. And if you are committed to running a puzzle heavy game, there are some games that are puzzle heavy, um, especially dungeon crawls can be this way. Mm-hmm. I've worked at escape rooms. Give them a hint system. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's silly. I, a lot of escape rooms have you like do an X in front of the like the cameras that are always in them. Trust mm-hmm. me, we're always watching you. Oh, yes. But like. Even if, when you leave. If you are really, really They're committed. They're watching you right now. Still. If you're, you're really committed. You've not to, actually escaped. <laughs> if you're really committed to, st- to, to doing this puzzle thing and it's a dungeon crawl and they know there are more coming, give them it. It's like. You can spend an inspiration for a hint. Yeah. Like, it's not my favorite way of doing, because we've given you so many solutions now that are like more story role-play oriented. Mm-hmm. If the end is like, can I give you a freaking Benny? And it's like, you buy me a shot and you also give me a Benny and we're good. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. we'll do it. Exactly. I mean, that's why those things exist. Like, yeah. 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 It's more important to have fun than to do things by the book. Oh, God, yeah. One thing that I have a lot of respect for since playing Baldur's Gate 3 so much, is learning just how many things in games have 30 solutions to them. Like, yeah. that is... I've played that game mul- from start to, start to finish multiple times now as different kinds of character classes and different stat builds just to see how different a scenario is based on the kind of character you're bringing to it. So, like, you might you might be able to fight a character or you might be able to persuade a character to die so you can move on to the next <laughs> scene. 
And that's all in the game. And that that's because a good game designer, this is whether you're running a tabletop or a video game or whatever, has to think about there are different ways people are going to play this. Mm-hmm. So I think like if you notice that your players are getting frustrated, like you should also be thinking of what other solutions are available. Mm-hmm. And that's like a good way to do it. I was not aware you could not play a like there was any other option other than like purple tiefling warlock. <laughs> yeah. You can play you can play a green tiefling. Only sorcerer, option in that game. Oh or, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, I could see sorcerer. <laughs> well, well, you cross toss in a warlock so you can use your sorcery points for Eldritch Blast. So that's technically the same thing. Yeah, this is queer culture. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I think, I think well done. That was good. We that's did it. Nice. We got through the two emails. We did it. <laughs> I think in the amazing. much longer great. conversation before the emails. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> it's a great episode. I mean, I love it. This is why we're doing this. Because we're like, hey, let's be friends and hang out. Yeah. Oh, and like our excuse will be we have a do we do a podcast. Yeah. Clara said earlier about about the the email about gaming becoming weekly, becoming monthly. It is like, yeah, if you want to make sure you play your games every week, make it into a podcast. Oh my god. Even if no one's listening to it, like people are listening to this, but it is like it's guaranteeing that like you have this time. Like part of why I love playing actual plays. Because when I'm on an actual play show, I'm guaranteed to have a weekly game. Like, that's the best part that about it. That is true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And if you're a happy jacker, uh, you get happy jacks point. That's not true, but that's a throwback to last Oh, week. yeah. My our, Benny system, my, my token Benny's economy system. that I'm supposed to start. Yes. That's right. I forgot about that. I need to add to Oh, I love okay, the idea Kimmy retro- has, like, a board on the wall and you get a gold <laughs> star. And then, like, when you fill up the row, you can go out for pizza. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Oh my god, Kimmy says. Kimmy says that if we can, if we all show up to our sessions for every season for every episode in our thing, we can have a pizza party. At oh my god! Oh my god! I'm very tiny, we, motivated. We joke all the time, both Kimmy and I individually, and then also in discussing the show that like 90 percent of a GM is like child psychology and oh, and, and elementary education. And I'm thinking choreboard, right? 100. If you brush your teeth every single day. You miss one, you don't get. Then there yeah. you go. Yeah. See, oh, nobody knows about our like constant Discord friendship, Aaron. Everyone's like, you just barely know each other. It's like, no, but we talk all the time. That's what we want you to do. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really scary with my Happy Jacks mom, my Queen's Court kids. You two have been running a political game this entire <laughs> time. Oh, uh, circle. We're co GMing. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> You know, right. A lot of people in modern day co GM. You know, it used to yeah, be. Yeah, uh, in this eco- single GM in this economy. Yeah. Oh, uh, can we can we swap Clara weekends next time? I got this thing. To- <laughs> <laughs> I have a date that I know. <laughs> I need at least forty eight hours notice. Come on, that's right. what the court said. Yeah. <laughs> right. The oh Queen's Court. Uh, uh, all right, take us out. Thank you for joining us for season thirty three, episode eight of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. Please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Christopher Gray at sunderedhold.com. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing patrons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their amazing ranks at happyjobs.org slash Patreon. My name is Kimmy. My name is Riley. I'm Clara. I'm Aaron. <laughs> and this week, we're going to leave you with a song. Uh, we're leaving you with a song called 500 Miles. No, we're not. Oh, no, we're not. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's called Bog Down in the valley because I put in 500 miles and Claire's like, no, no, put in Bog, put in Bog. And then we had a conversation about how my kid loves Bog. And it is by the Merry Wives of Windsor, which is a band that I used to be in and Claire is in. I replaced Kimmy. Yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> Because I left, but I, I didn't get kicked out. It's fine. No <laughs> drama. We love each other. And you can find them at mwow.net. 
Thank you very much. And we will see you next week. I think there's drama. <laughs> Politics. Politics. is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song is played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts.